1: at LuckyLandslots.com.
0: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Hello, and welcome to Outward for the month of October. I'm Christina Cotarucci, a staff writer at Slate and host of The Waves, Slate's podcast about women and gender, and I am a big, juicy ball of adolescent emotion this month because I've been listening to the new Tegan and Sarah album. I'm crying inside.
1: Mm, uh, I'm Brian Louder, editor of Outward, and I just parallel parked under duress yesterday for the first time in 12 years in New fucking York. Wow. So I need to hold space for that achievement just for a minute here on the podcast.
0: Snaps for you.
1: Snaps for me. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Pretty Ricky is what they call me, and I'm here guest hosting and uh, trying to figure out why people think Lizzo is a rapper.
2: Ooh, we could do a whole episode about that. <laughs> we could. I'm I so that.
0: flummoxed by that. Have I,
2: people been saying that? Yeah,
0: they th- that uh, she's categorized as a rapper, and I'm like, yeah, her words rhyme, but doesn't <laughs> every musician? Yeah, <laughs> words rhyme? so
1: what? Okay, huh? Huh? Interesting.
0: So. Listeners, you might
2: recognize Ricky from our episode on icons. He came on to talk about drag kinging, show production, icons of masculinity, and the subversion thereof. Um, And we're so happy to have him back in the studio today to guest host. We have a really good show planned for today. Plenty of tasty topics on the docket. For one, we're gonna be talking about the LGBTQ town hall that the Democratic presidential candidates participated in. Um, We're recording this just mere hours after the town hall wrapped up, so we'll discuss that. We're also gonna talk about the new gender-neutral doll for children from Mattel. We've got a couple examples of the dolls here in the studio, and we're gonna have fun playing with them. But first, Brian, take us into our intro segment.
1: Yeah, we have Pride and Provocations just like every episode. Um and so I was wondering, uh, Ricky, if you would like to start us off. Do you have a pride or provocation this month?
0: I guess I kinda already did that when I talked about Lizzo, but uh, <laughs> you're allowed <laughs> to be
2: provoked multiple times. I in am I am
0: provoked by that multiple times. Um pride definitely in um seeing how much LGBTQ representation we're starting to see on television mm-hmm. right now. Um, the new Batwoman show is coming out, starring Ruby Rose, who is, right. uh, def- has definitely become a queer icon. Um, uh, I'm also a big fan of Black Lightning, also a superhero show featuring uh, a lesbian, a black lesbian superhero. So Ooh. take that, all of you racists out there. <laughs> She's black and she can kick your butt. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, That's my pride. Yeah. Excellent.
2: I've got a provocation this month. Um, So by the time this show airs, it'll be maybe a week or so since this was really a hot topic. But a lot of people have been talking about it this month. So I wanted to address it. I'm talking about Ellen DeGeneres, who was photographed having a little lol with george w bush at a dallas cowboys game that's football for anyone Mm -hmm. unaware
1: (laughs) thank
0: you
2: Um, (laughs) sure yeah that was for you brian um she got some criticism for it so she did a little segment on her show to defend herself because people are like you know hey why are you hanging out with this war criminal and noted homophobe and she said In her segment, I'm friends with George Bush. I try to teach you on this show to be kind to everybody, not only the people you agree with. For example, I'm friends with people who wear fur, and I don't agree with wearing fur, but we're still (laughs) friends. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion these days about cancel culture and civility and, uh, you know, being able to accept people with different perspectives and I think some people are starting to realize that political positions or even party affiliation aren't necessarily indicators of benign differences of opinions. You know, they carry the weight of lives and livelihoods, their flesh and blood, their pain. They touch on the deepest questions of morality and decency and when we Mm -hmm. talk about we're not talking about kindness and unkindness i think about my little niece who's three who has recently learned the word kind and what it means to be kind and you know my sister is doing a great job teaching her about how to treat other people but we're not talking about kindness here like the reason why people don't like george bush is not because he's unkind or they're not being unkind to him when they don't when they uh, criticize a public figure for giving him her stamp of approval. We're Mm -hmm. talking about justice and injustice. It's not about kids sharing on the playground. This is a person with political power wielding that power to harm and vilify and oppress. And then another person, Ellen, with cultural capital, using that capital to paint over those injustices that he's perpetrated. And I think the people who are moved to defend Ellen DeGeneres or George Bush are – trying to say like can't we get along there's all these like you know rifts in the uh in the political landscape right now and i I wonder what kind of person you have to be how i wonder how out of touch you have to be from members of your own community or how thoroughly like your own wealth must insulate you from the Mm -hmm. threat of discrimination in order to enjoy a football game with the man who literally tried to change the U.S. Constitution to explicitly shame you into second-class citizenship just to put aside all of the actual war crimes that he, you know, committed or or and tried to paper over in his administration. I just wonder. So that's that's what I've been provoked by this month.
0: Are we allowed to make commentary on that? Because first off, yeah. mm-hmm. I want to yeah. give Please. hallelujah hands to, <laughs> to everything that you just said. Sam. This, this idea that we have to um, put our humanities aside so that we can so that we can be nice to each other uh, racists aren't necessarily mean toothless you know uh, suspender wearing dudes <laughs> in some swamp somewhere right mm-hmm. they can be your neighbor your boss your co-worker right totally and respectable they, they can be respectable and they can be kind and they can be funny but that doesn't mean that I have to to somehow put aside your your racist homophobic viewpoints to, to what? So that we can share coffee? First off, I don't want coffee with There's you. There's plenty of other people to have mm-hmm. coffee with. Right? I mm-hmm. have other people in my life to have coffee with who don't think that I'm a second-class citizen. So no thank you to that. And all the props to you for bringing that up because that has been uh, quite a thing. And I think this idea that people can still um, sit in the middle on things like this it mm-hmm. makes me angry. Yeah. You, you are not allowed to be in the middle on this. There is no... You know, at, at what point are children in cages kind of okay, right? Where's your middle mm-hmm. ground on that? There's, there is no middle ground on that. So let's stop with this. We have to be nice to one another. I can still be nice to you, uh, and also tell you that you're a terrible human being. So, <laughs>
1: mm.
2: word. Yeah, uh, Brian, w- how are you feeling this month?
1: Um, I loved all that. Uh, so I am feeling pride, actually, about a TV show as well. Ooh. Um, Ooh. so uh, on over on Netflix, I don't know if y'all watch uh, Big Mouth at all, which is the
2: the masturbation
1: uh, show. It's, well, it's a it's a show about puberty. Uh, I know. I the, the,
2: yeah. <laughs> I have watched a couple episodes, and yeah. I think it was like a little bit much for me.
1: It's a lot. I was it's the a lot. child
2: who was like too prude for Ren and Stimpy. So yeah,
1: yeah. it's a lot. It's definitely it's. So it's yeah for for our listeners who haven't seen it necessarily it's a sort of middle school age characters uh, obviously m- written with much more uh, adult sensibilities um, cartoon about puberty there is like a hormone monster for everybody it's great it's really funny um, and and smart this season which just dropped I think maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, Uh, has a lot more queerness in it especially um around bi and pansexuality which has been really exciting um there was there in in past seasons there's been a gay character matthew um and he's getting getting a little bit more play in this season uh with the boyfriend and things like that but really the focus is on uh on the non-monosexuals uh in in the school um jay is a cis guy who uh, is, has lots of funny aspects to his character, but he uh, but he's bi. And that's been like a huge, uh, an increasingly uh, big focus of the show and how he's navigating that and then um in a, in a sort of late in the season there's an episode where a pan character uh, moves to the school um and she's a girl and th- that episode is a lot about how um non-monosexuality is treated differently in men and women which oh, is cool. is really smartly done yeah um and so uh yeah i just highly recommend it it's smart it's very funny and it's i think it's a show that really gives the lie to this like dumb comedian um, discourse right now that says that you know there's nothing that can be transgressive in comedy anymore. The show is, ex- as you pointed out, Christina, like extremely transgressive in many ways, uh, and but is is super smart and I think um, socially responsible and uh, progressive. So um, highly recommend the new season of Big Mouth. Very proud of it.
2: That sounds really good.
1: Thanks. Um, I couldn't okay. watch it. There were too many penises in it for me. <laughs> there's there's all kinds of body parts. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like I was all like, over this the place. Is,
0: This is. <laughs> I only saw the first episode where uh, the penises were playing basketball, and yeah. I was like, I don't know. This is, this is a show
1: for me. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, that's it was very a little fair. bit much. That's very fair. Okay, on
2: that note, our first topic for today, the presidential town hall on LGBTQ issues. It aired on CNN on October 10th. It was co-organized by the HRC. Uh, Bernie Sanders couldn't make it because of his recent heart attack, but all the other usual suspects were there, plus a couple unusual suspects, uh, like Tom Steyer, who's uh, a bajillionaire who is now made it to the Democratic debate stage. (laughs) But his segment aired really late at night, and we'll mostly be talking about uh, the more viable candidates who were up on stage. So the point of this town hall, as far as I saw it, was not necessarily to show that they were all like on the right side of the issues, so to speak. I mean, there were a few substantive differences between some of the candidates, on sex work, on uh, talking about the tax exempt status of religious organizations um, that discriminate. But I'm going to play a little clip from Joe Biden explaining what the actual point of the debate was in his view. And by the way, I suspect, Anders, you're going to hear this is the, going to be one forum where you're going to find very, very little disagreement among the Democratic candidates. Mm. I'm proud of the position they all have because every one of us are. If there's differences, there's just a, in degree and emotional concern. So I'm not sure if I would quite explain it that way, this, that it was about degree of emotional concern, but um, I will say I saw it more as an opportunity for candidates to show how fluent they were. So... I watching the town hall, it seemed to me like a real collision of timelines, like <laughs> in, in the way that, you know, Joe Biden, to quote him again, he's so quotable. Um, he was like, you know, you could get married on Saturday and fired on Tuesday. I think that's an extremely <laughs> stupid way to talk about the state of LGBTQ rights, but er, not stupid it's it's a little bit reductive but i think it does explain the how a lot of people who nece- aren't necessarily living lgbtq lives day to day see things they're like wow you know look how far the public has come even on acceptance of gay marriage and you know gay marriage the Defensive Marriage Act uh, was still around when the last major uh, forum on LGBTQ rights happened in 2007, where like almost none of the candidates running for president even said gay marriage was a thing that they could support. But then even watching the town hall last night, there were some moments that struck me as incredibly not progressive. And it was like they were all coming together uh, in this one space you know, Kamala Harris coming out and saying, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And then Chris Cuomo coming out and saying, mine too. Like it, that, it was a moment where I felt like she was in, in like the most minor way trying to say like, I understand the language that you guys use. And then uh, the moderator treating it as a joke. Um, What did you guys think about the the town hall?
0: That was, uh, such a cringeworthy moment. Um, and uh, already, like, I know that we're going to probably start talking a little bit about how we feel about the candidates in general as, uh, as prospective, you know, um, uh, front runners. But this is a problem I have with Kamala Harris. She seems like an aunt who's out of touch, who's trying to use words to connect with you. She's like, everything's lit, isn't it? And you're like, <laughs> sure, auntie. Kamala it's very lit and, <laughs> and just watching her talk it, it just it feels like she's just missing something to connect with an audience so so even if she did have good points uh I was oftentimes just kind of turned off by her presentation on stage in general and uh as a black woman I would like to root for the only black woman who's running for president but um you know, we all have issues with her in general, um, but cringeworthy moment for sure. But uh, if we talk about how they handled the protesters, I would actually say that they did a really good job yeah. of letting people say the things that they wanted to say. Um, I am forgetting her name. She was the one that interacted with um, Don Lemon. Um, Blossom? Blossom? Blossom. Blossom. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh I thought he did a fairly decent job of letting, letting Blossom talk. Um, and at one point, he t- did take the mic from her, but then he gave it back to her.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so it, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do, especially on the spot, live in front of a bunch of people. But for the most part, I thought they did a fairly decent job letting protesters speak um, and reiterating the things that they were trying to say uh, as for the audience that was there and the audience that was watching at home.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was I was really impressed by that, too. I mean, I, I think we've seen protests at other uh, debates and events like this. And it's it's just the way it was handled here was was by and large, like, refreshing. Um, so that was that was definitely a positive thing um, amid all the uh, gay bathhouse <laughs> gay, uh, cringe <laughs> moments uh, uh, referencing another one. Yeah. That Biden made. yeah.
2: Before we before we get into that, which I think is we should definitely talk about. I. I will say the the two major moments where protesters sort of came to the front um, and and everyone had to pause to take in what they were saying. And, and it was, you know, about black trans people not mm-hmm. having a voice at the debate. Um, and I think after Blossom spoke and said that there were at least a couple of black trans people who did get to speak. But at the time she was like, you know, this is anti-blackness. You're only letting, you know, non-black people of color who are trans ask the questions. Um, but I, I was like exhilarated by those moments. I don't think I've ever seen that mm-hmm. happen at a presidential debate where protesters have stood up to say something and they've actually been given the chance to be heard. Yeah, um, it, it felt like a total power shift. And this actually explains kind of how I watched the rest of the debate, too. It felt like a shift in power from the usual way that these events are conducted. It speaks to the power that LGBTQ people have demanded for themselves. Where um, you know we were able to have this entire town hall where candidates weren't just pandering to us, but recognizing that um, that 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 we have a lot of things to teach them.
1: Yeah, to that point, I feel like I was. Um most su- maybe su- surprised uh, or impressed by uh Cory Booker on that point mm, um, I was I was not and I, to be you know my beat is not politics so I'm not like in this every day like Christina might be but I um I hadn't heard him speak on these issues before and I found him to be almost maybe beside Warren like the most Sort of conversant and comfortable, um, he felt like if comfort is is a is a metric we're using, which I think is a good one, he just like seemed to really get it, um, and I was I was really won over just by his his sort of handling of of the. The various, you know, questions that so each candidate got sort of, sort of the same questions, phrased slightly differently. I mean, he handled, I think, all of them pretty well, but also his ability to kind of um, pivot from the the direct question into like larger issues um, too, about healthcare and about uh, other things like that. Um, it was striking to, to see that happen um, f- from him. So I, I, I really enjoyed uh, that experience for sure.
2: I want to talk to you guys about this moment that Elizabeth Warren has been getting a lot of praise for, she made a joke sort of mocking homophobes. Um, Mm -hmm. So someone in the audience asked her, what would you say to somebody on the campaign trail who said, I'm traditional and because of my faith, I think marriage is only between one man and one woman. And she said, I'm going to assume it's a guy or, you know, for the sake of argument. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would say, just marry one woman then. And then everyone laughed and clapped and then she goes assuming you can find one. And <laughs> yeah. oh my god, did everyone just erupt in praise for her? I you know, I got a chuckle out of it, but I actually feel a little bit um a little bit uncomfortable with that. I mean, first of all, I don't think that's True, like women marry homophobes all the time and are homophobic, and you know, you're like, I felt like she was sort of implying that homophobic views are so beyond the pale that somebody will be socially ostracized if they have them. Which, you know, Joe Biden said something similar. I just don't think that's where America is right now. There are homophobes everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and it felt good in the moment. It felt. And a lot of the um, town hall felt like this, where there was sort of a looser vibe, I think, because LGBTQ people are so much fun. Um, the candidates felt like they could joke a little more. There was a little bit, it, it didn't feel as sort of stayed as a typical debate. Um, and it, I don't know, the. I just picture a lot of people on the right taking that clip and playing it to people, and you know, even even some people who are like, "Yes, I support gay rights." will look at that and think, like, how how rude do you have to be to mock a hypothetical constituent? Um, but I guess it just goes to show what what the thing what what the town hall was, which is like making statements of values within a community, not making persuasive arguments outside of it. How did you guys feel about that moment? Uh,
0: if I can, I, I actually. Um I didn't actually have an issue with what she said. I I see your viewpoint 100%. um, But that was a moment that she showed personality that Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the other candidates struggle with. Um, And whether what she said was appropriate or not, it showed a a fieriness in her that we need right now. And we need somebody who is willing to make very, um, you know, strong opinionated Mm -hmm. uh, stances on things and whether her stance is right or wrong, uh, you know, we can definitely debate that. But that was the moment that I was like, yeah, I, I, Mm. I I messed with Elizabeth Warren. Like she was, it, it, it it was the thing that kind of won me over. I was already like leaning towards her, but for me, that was the thing that kind of won me over for her. And, I get what you're saying. 100%. The, uh, the right side will, will 100%. But regardless of what she said, they were going to twist it anyway. So might as well have a little bit of fun with it. I guess um, she's also yeah. saying,
2: like, I'm not an Ellen DeGeneres. I, yeah. Like, I don't suffer fools.
0: Yeah. And I like that about her. And um, the fact that she stated it so plainly, I think, was also like the first part of the, the her little quote unquote joke, right? The second part, again, we can we can talk about that. Uh, f- probably for a few hours, but the first part of what she said, then just marry one woman. I for me was like so simplistic and profound. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. then just marry one woman. Like if that's what you feel, <laughs> then you do you th- your thing, and we'll do our thing, and they don't have to meet in the middle in any way, shape, or form. What you do doesn't have to do anything with what I do. So
1: I think it was sort of a good um, corrective to this uh, line that Biden was sort of uh espousing a lot which was like the the people just don't know they just Americans just don't know they don't understand it you know like homophobes yeah. just need to be like educated which i feel like is a very um i mean i hate to say it but just like older person kind of like mm-hmm. way of thinking about this stuff and like and i agree ricky that we're like past that like i want a candidate who is 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 not fucking around with that kind of stuff anymore. Like we're, we're, we don't need to do that. Like we're, we're the time for sort of outreach to those folks from my point of view is sort of over. Um, And so I appreciated it for that. I also think it's funny, but I found it that that particular comment from Warren to be the kind of thing that I wish um, Mayor Pete, might have said um mm. as a member of the community um and instead i found him completely um lacking in like emotional connection to uh-huh. this subject matter which continues to be like the bizarrest experience ever to watch like the one gay candidate seem like he he just read a fact sheet about being gay um i don't know I, I maybe we can dig into into him a little bit because i think that you know he's he's the the um, the the home team in this, and oh, I, I yeah. don't, I don't feel like he um, captured my my attention the same way that that Warren or Booker uh, did.
2: I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here, please. <laughs> I think in the same way that Obama had to tiptoe so softly around the issue of race during his campaign, I think that had Mayor Pete come out with a sassy retort to mm. you know somebody who who said that they were opposed to gay marriage. I think that would have been like the ultimate nail mm-hmm. in the coffin of his presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't think that I, I've, I've come to appreciate a little bit more, I think, the fine line that he is trying to walk, whether or not that that fine line speaks to me as a queer person is another story. You know, like I, too, yeah. would love to see a, a candidate who was who would engage a little bit more honestly or emotionally or complexly with their, um, you know, coming out story, for instance. Um, but I I understand why he doesn't do that. The other thing I really wanted to talk to you guys about was Joseph Biden. Uh, and what I took to be an incredibly bizarre way of trying to connect with queer people, which is by sort of tiptoeing up to the line of pretending he was queer. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> he, it, no, it thank you.
2: happened uh-uh. multiple times during his segment. Each candidate got half an hour. He, uh, at first, was reenacting a moment, you know, he, he made much of this moment in his past where he said he supported gay marriage before Barack Obama did. And then he went to reenact the moment when he told Obama, you know, I, I said this thing. And then he, he goes up to Anderson Cooper. He's like, and then Barack gave me a kiss. And he sort of put his hand on Anderson Cooper's shoulder and acted like he was going to give him a kiss. Uh he also, you know, uh, a, a good-looking man stepped up to the microphone to ask a question, and Biden goes, wow, he looks like he just stepped out of Gentleman's Quarterly, <laughs> like which actually GQ doesn't go by that anymore. Right. Um, God,
1: I, didn't even, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Maybe oh it, took,
0: it took a second. I'm like, Gentleman's Quarterly, I would read that. What, how do I find this publication? Okay.
2: Uh, yeah, that was an anachronism. Um, and then he, at another point, he— and he he tried to make this joke one time before, but then it really landed at later on in his segment where he was, like, saying that he came out in support of gay marriage. And so he's like, when I came out, <laughs> came bah, 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 out. Bah, 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 bah. And Anderson's sort of like, LOL, that would, that would be news. And then Joe goes over and puts his arm around Anderson and says, yeah, I've got something to tell you. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, nobody actually thought he was going to come out. But the fact that he, his way of saying you know i'm cool with all this gay stuff was to sort of be like look i'm so cool with it i'll almost pretend to do it myself like look i have no prejudice against queer people um like i'm not grossed out by the idea of touching another man was seemed so off off tone to me um uh, uh, like he was making a little bit of a gay joke yeah um like isn't the concept of me joe biden coming out as gay hilarious um and it it felt like a Somebody was, you know, blasted in from another time period. I was
0: going to say it's very 90s progressive of him, isn't yeah. it? Because mm-hmm. that's how you would portray yourself as being progressive, like 80s and 90s. Right. Like, I'm so Look, cool with it. I'm so cool. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mm-hmm. find other men gross. Look at this. Look, yeah. I'm so cool
1: yeah and then also the like the, when he was telling a story about like I think it was his dad for, like ostensibly first telling him not to be homophobic or whatever right
2: his big thing was you know, I've never been homophobic my in my entire life because even right. my dad wasn't homophobic
1: and he tells a story about like seeing two and he said this twice like well-dressed gentlemen like get out of a car um and, and his dad I guess says, you know oh they love each other son like you know it's fine um but just the just like using well-dressed both times to like to like indicate to code gayness <laughs> was like as this, if they had this...
2: modeled for gentlemen's quarterly in fact. As, uh,
1: indeed perhaps they came just from a shoot um, but it, it was it was just this like old fashioned way mm-hmm. like it's it's a well meant it's not like I'm not, not like mad about it yeah, but it's he just didn't like... say
2: like limp wristed men no right, but, it, like but
1: it but it but it's function it's like feels just like oh gosh like you know grandpa like stop stop doing it you, like you could um, just say men yeah right and then right the
2: the next part Part of the story is they kissed each other, right. so we could have inferred that the right. Yes.
1: right. We right. could have
2: assumed they were well dressed. Um, also, I would have loved to hear Pete like say something like, "Hey, you know what, Joe Biden? Not all gay men are well dressed." Right. Like really? I,
0: respectability politics. That's what I was about to say. Is that it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how um, uh, you often hear respectability politics when talking about like um, you know people of color, specifically Black people, and respectability politics there. But it's interesting to see this kind of creep in. Um, with gay people, which I'm like, uh, to be uh, to be honest, I didn't even realize it was a thing with like, hmm. mm-hmm. like some of the most respectable, well dressed people that I know are gay, as so are some of the most slovenly dressed people that I know. <laughs> like, like there's there's a there's a gamut there. We all and you know, surprise, surprise, straight people are also like that, and mm-hmm. bi people, and gender nonconforming people. So like, what is what is this about? Being well-dressed, you're not going to take me seriously unless I'm wearing a tie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I wish we could talk about this for five more hours, but uh, we should probably move on. Uh, listeners, please tell us what you thought of this presidential town hall. We would love to hear what you thought about it. I'm so glad that we got to watch it. Um, you can email us at outwardpodcast at slate.com. With the Lucky Land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Uh, Late last month, Mattel, the famous or infamous toy (laughs) company behind Barbie, introduced a new line of dolls intended to be gender neutral. The first from a major manufacturer called Creatable World. The collection features six dolls of varying skin tones and hair textures, and each kit contains uh, different hairstyles of different lengths and clothing options that span the traditional gender spectrum. The executive behind the product told the New York Times that they are meant to, quote, celebrate the positive impact of inclusivity, while a spokesperson for Mattel cautioned that they see them as, quote, something that's all about play and not about politics. Hmm. We'll see about that. <laughs> but uh, first, we're joined in the studio by some citizens of the creatable world.
2: Residents.
1: <laughs> residents, uh, uh, excuse me, residents, yes, uh, of the creatable world. Um, so I thought we should just start with how we uh, living humans feel about these dolls as toys. Uh, y'all have one. What, what are you thinking about so, it? So,
2: well, I've chosen my doll's um, bottoms, uh, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to... Figure out wait, here, Ricky. Why don't you pick the doll's top, so that we can have a truly democratically dressed doll? Um, these dolls are so interesting to me. The first thing that I think is pretty exciting and radical, as a former lover of Barbie dolls, is that it <laughs> comes with a wig, as you mentioned. So, the doll, its hair, um, our character. Should we name our our doll, Ricky?
1: Yes. What I love about it is that the names on the boxes, like normally they name their dolls, like "Oh, this is the Ken. This is the Skipper," and these are just like the E D dash one two (laughs) one. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. Their model numbers. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I think that those gender neutral slash uh, interplanetary identification numbers that came with (laughs) the doll are um, exciting. As is the fact that our doll, who I'm going to call. What's a good gender-neutral
0: name? Brooklyn or Ooh. Brooklyn. I like Brooklyn because it's very uh, it's very new age, right? We, we name we name our people kids after, after pl- where they're conceived. Yeah, people after places and mm. things that they do, like Hunter. Yeah, and you're like, when when did that become a name? Why is Fisher not a All oh, right, Fisher? So a little is a
2: little name. Fisher. Um, so Fisher has. A head that is mostly shaved all around the side, a.k.a. there's no hair on it except for a couple little, um, what would you call them, incisions, like razor lines in mm-hmm. the back. Yeah. yeah, And a little, like, mini afro on the top of their head. But then they come with a wig that has very long braids. Um, and... I used to spend a long time thinking about cutting my Barbie's hair and then sometimes actually cutting my Barbie's hair. I remember trying to give one of my Barbie's layers once I learned what layers were. (laughs) (laughs) That was a disaster. Um,
0: That was very Jennifer Aniston of you. Oh, my gosh.
2: 100% inspired by (laughs)
0: Jennifer Aniston.
2: Um, So I was really excited that this doll would have a wig because I think – I, in talking to, I'll get into this a little bit more later, but I I talked to a person who created the gender-neutral emojis, and they told me that a lot of times when you're trying to think about what people code as gender, the only thing they look at, you know, in a split second is hair length. Um, And so I think that that was a really good way to signal the fact that this doll could be any gender. But the wig that comes with this doll is I thought it might be like elastic or something like that it no it's a hard helmet with hair (laughs) on it it looks like a bike helmet um and I've actually seen people wearing bike helmets like this with like fuzzy little protrusions um which I think takes away from the verisimilitude of the long haired version of my doll Brian what do you think
1: well this is where I confess that I am I think maybe the the rare gay guy that did not ever play with dolls wow.
2: as far as I can remember
1: yeah I, I like how did you I,
2: become I, gay
1: <laughs> I don't know I yeah I, I didn't have um you know whatever cross-gender like toy playing so that's uh, there's no reason for me to be gay um no I, I don't know why I, I guess I remember playing just with like blocks and stuff. I think I was whatever. This is not about me. This is about the doll. (laughs) Um, The doll is fun. I've never played with one, so this is this is exciting to like. You've never even
2: held a doll. Like
1: I'm sure I've held one, but I've not not like in any intentional way. No, not that I. Maybe my my like mom can comment on this, but I don't think so. Um, I've chosen to dress, so mine has, um, I don't know what intergalactic number they are, but, uh, mine has sort of a side shave, um, like pompadour thing attached.
2: That's very, like queer no matter the gender yeah yeah
1: yeah, no it's totally that and then I chose to put um this very like Texas uh (laughs) like like church lady wig on big hair uh, but blended it with the bangs of like the the uh the other piece that's under it and then gave them a kind of um I think like a sort of brunch look it's like fashion sweats and like a camo (laughs) Uh, zip up jacket. Oh, we and some, have a like, camo
2: item too. Ours yeah, came with yeah. camo pants.
1: Yeah, yeah, a camo jacket, and then some like brown boots and um, a nice like fedora. You know, cocked to the side. Um, so that sort of look, um, and it's fun. I, I I like playing with it. Um, I you know I don't know what it's teaching me about gender exactly, but it is it is fun to put clothes on this uh, small person.
0: That's the thing. Like it, it, it just feels like a. Doll with more accessories to me. It doesn't really feel much more than that to me. I, and I too also never really played with dolls. I was a okay, nerd. So it
2: makes sense why you're gay.
0: Yeah, uh, dolls
2: I, are how like little you know assigned female yes. people get yes. assigned uh, straightness. Yes,
0: and uh, I never found them very interesting. I did oh, when I got older. I became a big comic book nerd, and I was like mm. into like collectible action figures which are not dolls no they're not right uh they're serious business and i was really into stuff like that but like those are the kind of things that you buy and never take out of the package right like you're Mm -hmm. not you're not taking them out and using all the accessories with them so it just feels like an overly accessorized toy to me like i don't know if there's uh, I, i i'm going to echo what you said what is it teaching about is it is it teaching anything about gender and is that its purpose? Like, Mattel seems yeah. to think that it's kind of not. Like, it's yeah, like.
2: Yeah, Mattel, but they've also been marketing this doll as a way to welcome, like, gender non binary or gender non conforming kids into the world of doll mm-hmm. play. Um, I, I'm a little bit more bullish on this doll, I think, than y'all are. I don't necessarily see this doll as, like, a. Uh, foray into our gender neutral or gender queer or gender non-conforming future but i think it's more of a way to decouple the hyper masculine and hyper feminine characteristics that are normally associated with dolls so you know our doll yeah like i guess you you don't know what sex or gender the you know fisher is um the the People at Time Magazine who got the exclusive on this doll and ran the first big feature on it said it looks like a seven-year-old child. And I think it's – that says – pretty much everything you need to know about the way dolls are normally manufactured where they have like extremely exaggerated secondary sex characteristics so it's barbie with her enormous boobs and her like big eyes and cheekbones Mm -hmm. and it's ken with his like enormous shoulders and pecs and like a small bulge in his crotch area um and it's like an it's almost like America thinks that if a doll can't fuck, it's not a real doll, you know, and why should kids <laughs> be playing with it? And so and, – but this doll, you know, I don't think there's anything about Fisher that says child other than the fact that, you know, they don't have any of these extremely mm-hmm. visible secondary sex characteristics. And so I, I see this as a meaningful step toward just like uh, – mitigating a little bit of the hyper-genderization of... Existing dolls more so than like a gender queering. It's more of like an ungendering.
1: No, I wanted one question. I wanted to uh, just to piggyback on that for a second. Like I, I wanted to ask y'all again as like a person uh, that hasn't played with dolls. right just Christina is the only person. <laughs> I'm that the has. doll right. correspondent um, here. Yeah, <laughs> like like I, I sort of wanted to just like zoom out really far and be like, what are dolls for? Like yeah. philosophically, but it, but I think you're getting at it, which is like for kids. They're probably for all kinds of things, right? They're probably just for fun, for for decoration, for, you know, expression. But it seems like when once you become an adult, like it's hard not to look at them as these enforcers, uh, or constructors of, of like gender norms. Yeah. Um, so in that way, I guess, you know, maybe this is helpful. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that question is too absurd to ask, but that I was wondering about it.
2: No, I think that's exactly the question that this doll demands we yes. ask.
0: So my wife is uh, she's a, a nanny, um, and she has been for a very, very long time, and she's been with the the same kids for about ten years. So oh, wow. she's been with them since they were um, about six months old. And uh, it's interesting that you bring up the point about uh, you know what kids see, especially um, AFAB, fab kids, what they Mm -hmm. see uh, and how they interpret that and how they play with dolls. So there are two older kids that she has that are 10. um, And when they play, they play like traditional house, right? So one of you has to be the husband and one of you has to be the wife. Uh, Until my wife stepped in and was like, you can have you can have two wives. And so <laughs> sometimes depending on what game they're playing, sometimes it's a husband and wife, sometimes it's a wife and wife. But the the youngest one who's 8 has already decided that she is going to be a fabulous Woman who has no children and mm. spends all her money. So while the other two older <laughs> ones are like work, are like you know these are my babies. And what's your baby's name? And she's just very staunchly like I'm not having any babies. I don't she's have like these babies. A, I she's have this a martini. <laughs> 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 like
1: the right. Corner.
0: Like so, I think that's just to illustrate the point that like when kids can see that as an option, right? Like I think oftentimes we don't show kids that that, that there is an option to be anything other than this. Caring, nurturing, um, you know, mother in training, right? Like, I, I can distinctly remember that as kids. We're always given baby dolls, right? Those are the things that, quote-unquote, girls want to play with. They want to pretend they're a mom. I never wanted to do that. So I think it's interesting to have a toy like this that um, kind of bucks that norm of, like, mm-hmm. we're we're training your child either to be the manliest man or the most motherly mother ever.
2: <laughs> and also I- – giving yeah. kids the option to have their dolls change gender expression. Like like what I was saying before, I mean, the all the clothes that we've been given with Fisher, I think tend a little bit more flamboyant. I don't want to say necessarily feminine, but definitely not like hyper masculine. Like yeah. even the camouflage pants are wait, let me touch them. Um are like, you know, skinny pants, like yeah. tailored.
0: Although um, I'm a fan of this varsity jacket, yeah, they really cute. <laughs> I'm like, like how can I get this in my size? Will it fit me? No. Okay.
2: Um, but even the idea that a single person can change gender expression, can look different depending on how their yeah. hair is that day, I think uh, is is a good way to teach kids that even even one person, you know, doesn't have necessarily a stagnant uh, gender expression mm-hmm. or or even just way of being in the world.
0: Or maybe making people more comfortable with the fact that people can look one way one day and another way the next day without you having to, like, make commentary on it, right? <laughs> and I think black women are especially familiar with this within corporate America. Mm. You know, you get your hair done one day and you come in and everybody's like, oh, my goodness, what did you do? <laughs> None of your business. Yeah. I just it's the same as just putting on a different, you know, outfit. The next day, why Why does this have to be commentary? So I think that's also something that shouldn't be missed is, is this idea that we can change ourselves um, quickly like that and it doesn't change who we are as individuals. Yeah. It's just the thing that we that we wear and what we feel that particular day.
1: Well, it sounds like from everything that's said that we all want to move to the creatable world <laughs> and... No, I, I think I, th- I'm, I was I was prepared to like not be impressed by these, but I think I think they're great. I think I, I think do we all recommend buying them for, you know, the, the the kids in our lives? I think so. Yeah,
2: it's they're $30, which I think is a pretty good deal considering all of the clothing options that you get with the doll. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly better than most of the other dolls out there, the, the more hypersexualized ones.
0: There are some super lesbian shoes though in here. Like, yeah, these we've are got like, a,
2: a pair of slip-on vans. Yeah, so these the checkerboard are checkerboard <laughs> pattern.
1: <laughs> so seek out the kit with the super lesbian shoes and uh, yeah, enjoy.
2: All right, now it's time for our gay agenda. Brian, what do we want to send our listeners off with?
1: So um, I just was in Houston, Texas for the first time. And I want to call out a specific place there, but also a general a, th- a thing that happens many places that happen there. So there's a bar called Michael's Outpost. Um, great bar name. It's a great in euphemism. Yeah. Uh, and it is like a bar that is in a st- kind of a strip mall, like between like a Thai restaurant and like a laundromat, like that kind of thing. Um and it's a old old school like piano gay bar, um, which I think we need to appreciate while we have them around still because they probably won't be for too much longer. But uh, it's 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 like you know red curtains and little lights on the yeah. tables and like that kind of thing. Um, but the night that I happened to visit, um, was a drag show called Cabernet Cabaret, amazing name, hosted by Violet Sablu. Um. Mm. (laughs) think about that drag name for just a second (laughs)
2: Um,
1: and how great it is Um, and what I liked about visiting this bar and seeing this particular show was that uh, it was it reminded me that there are many different kinds of drag performance that are different from um, and I'm talking about queening in particular here that are different from the uh, performance on like RuPaul's Drag Race which is like death drop you know complex look like super super loud kind of drag this drag was much like more old-fashioned, the music was actually from all before the 1950s that they chose to do. So, sort of like American standard performances, um, and just like little slip dresses, like like just like a quieter kind of drag, and a kind that uh, is is a style that I appreciate. Um, where people, the Queen, instead of not dancing so much, but just sort of walks around the room collecting tips <laughs> um, uh, instead of uh, you know performing too overtly. Um, it was just really refreshing to see a different style uh, and, and again, like an older style of drag put on here um, and surviving in this, in this little gay bar. So I just wanted to recommend Michael's Outpost in Houston and, uh, you know, go check out different kinds of drag uh, in wherever city you live.
0: That sounds lovely. Ricky, what do you have for us? Um, it, am I allowed to, like, repeat something that I said earlier? Because I really yeah. would love for people to uh, tune into some of these shows that are... Um, that have uh, complex gay characters on them, and mm. um, uh, I, I highly recommend. If you like superhero shows, Black Lightning is available on uh, Netflix right now, and I think there are either two or three seasons on there. It's a uh, it's a very it's a family of black superheroes. So one, I'm going to recommend that anyway. But also, like one of the main characters is. Uh, gay and it's not like a a storyline, right? It's just who the character is, and I mm. I love seeing that on television where it's not um, where you're not uh, an accessory f- to to another cast member, or um, you know your story is not important to tell until that one episode every season where we suddenly <laughs> are talking about gay issues. It's very refreshing refreshing to see that in a show that uh, in a type of show that that typically uh, is very. Um, very gendered and very like, uh, very heterosexual. And um, you know, when they do have gay characters, it's it's a, a little bit more overt and uh, uh, tends to be some sort of, um, like I said, an accessory for the rest of the show. So check it out, Black Lightning. Uh, I I love it. And also the she's a lesbian and I think she's really hot. So <laughs> is Brilliant. this a
2: cartoon or a live action? It's
0: live action. Yeah. Cool. Um, I can't remember the actress's name who plays her, but um, uh, it's a it's a it's a little cheesy. Every superhero show is a little cheesy. Yeah. You can't help it once you put on an outfit like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, like there's not a way to, to avoid that. But um, yeah, and then also like again, Batwoman is coming out with uh, Ruby Rose. Um, so support our support our queer characters on television. Saving um, the world. Saving the world. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um. My Gay Agenda item is a piece in the New Inquiry titled On Heteropessimism. It's by an author named Indiana Saracen. Um, and it the piece gives a name to something that I've thought about a lot over the past year or two. And I think I actually mentioned it um, on the last episode, this sort of – Um, trend of straight people, specifically straight women sort of lamenting the fact that they're straight or talking about heterosexuality as a prison, trying to performatively reject straight culture while still living as a straight person. Um, so this, I thought, was a really interesting piece, um, and it explored a lot of different aspects of that phenomenon and and uh, effects of that phenomenon and sort of underpinnings of it. Um, the author likens it to white people sharing stuff white people like memes while trying to sort of redeem themselves um, – from whiteness or from heterosexuality by these distancing mechanisms, um, and uh, yeah, I it's there's a lot of ways this sort of pops up in contemporary culture. There was that responses to the straight pride parade. Um, even the author even talks about incel culture, you know, and and you know these quote-unquote involuntary celibate men who uh, are uh, saying that heterosexual culture is denying them the sex that they deserve and, and sort of hating women while also wanting to be with or have sex with women. Um, Ricky, you look so disturbed right now. Yeah, it's really fucking disturbing. Um, but but in general, it, it limits the problem of, you know, heterosexuality to, men, you know, and, and not even broadening it out to the idea of misogyny or, you know, heterosexism or homophobia or anything, um, you know, not institutions that incentivize exploitation or cover up sexual abuse, just the plain fact of heterosexuality. It, it, it limits the sort of problems that people are trying to get at um, when they say like, oh, screw men, I hate men, but like, actually, I still love men. Um, there's a lot more to the essay than I can explain here, um, and I highly recommend reading it. I'm still thinking about it. It's called On Heteropessimism by Indiana Saracen.
1: That sounds fantastic. Um, I think that's about it for this month. Uh, please send us your feedback and topic ideas to outwardpodcast@slate.com at slate.com or via Facebook, Twitter at Slateoutward. A huge thank you to Ricky for joining us. Yeah. It was so fun.
0: This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you. And thank you to Melissa Kaplan, who provided production assistance for this episode. Our producer is Daniel Schrader. June Thomas, the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts, is aspirational any way you dress her up. If you <laughs> like Outward, please subscribe in your podcast app, tell your friends about it, and rate and review the show so others can find it. We'll be back in your feeds on November 20th. Bye, Christina.
2: Bye, Brian. Bye, Ricky. And bye to our little gender-neutral friends. Yes, Fisher. Bye, Bye, Fisher. Bye, (laughs) Fisher.
1: Thanks, everybody, and stay gay.